0: Amen. We're glad that you're here today and we're glad that the Lord is here. Amen. We are continuing in a discipleship project, Making Disciples, and uh, we are in a series called Hope for the Last Days. Everybody say that with me, Hope for the Last Days. Say it again, Hope for the Last Days. And uh, last week we heard about Jesus' return, His promise to return for His church, and the uh, admonition that we should be looking for His appearing, amen, we should be looking for His appearing. The Bible says when we hear all these things come to pass, lift up your head, for your redemption draws near, amen, our heads ought to be well lifted, amen, when we hear all these things come to pass, see the things that are happening, and uh, I'm thankful that the Lord has promised us that just as He left, He will return, He will return, and I'm looking forward to that return, amen. So today, we're going to deal with a subject in that regard uh, about these things, about His return in a lesson that we've entitled, As in the Days, As in the Days. The Bible mentions that his return will be uh, will come in a time as it was in the days. That phrase is mentioned a number of times. And so uh, if we uh, study that and look at that, I think we can recognize whether we're in those days or not. I'm sure that uh, there's been wicked days before now. I'm sure that there are generations that thought, how could, how could it get any worse? How could it get any more dark? Uh, but the Bible says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And God is directing His people toward that. Uh, he is going to return and to be aware that just like it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Lord. Now, Let's jump in here today. I want a little interaction from you this morning right off the bat before you get good and asleep. Uh, The first thing that comes to your mind when we mention Noah and his salvation, how was he saved? What saved Noah? What saved Noah? Just in your mind, what was it that saved Noah? Hebrews says there's something that he, huh? I want you to think that. Obedience. I want you to keep those thoughts in your mind, okay? Keep those thoughts in your mind. What was it that saved, or if you want to yell them out, if there's any other. Hard work, you know, hard work saved Noah. <laughs> Hebrews 7, this is very, very important as well. He Hebrews eleven seven. 7, let me just. By faith, Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his family or his house. I think about Noah, I think, well, thank God for the ark, right? And that's kind of the way, in this lesson, I think we go a little deeper than that. And let's begin today with uh, Luke chapter 17 and verse 26. And before we read that, I want us just to pray and ask the Lord to speak to us. Would you join me as we open this class? Lord, thank you for your blessings, God, and your goodness to us. Thank you for these that are here in this adult class. Lord, thank you for your word is forever settled. I pray you would settle it in our hearts and minds today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Luke 17, 26, we mentioned it earlier, and as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. Amen. When I think about life in Noah's day, when I think about what was normal, when I say to you, what would life be if life got to normal? I just wish for a normal day, a normal life. What does normal mean when I talk about life as normal? Don't know anymore. You know, maybe normal is what is a normal day for you? Man, (laughs) we are abnormal. It's the days of Noah. We just figured it out. You're dismissed. Let's go let's go have coffee. (laughs) What's a normal day for you? Work. There you go, good. That's kind of yeah. Every day, right? Except Saturday and Sunday or maybe except Sunday or maybe except another day. (laughs) Anything else normal? Sleep and eat. Work, sleep and eat. Anything else? Church? What's that? Recreation? Now we're starting to get into that area where, well, wait a minute, that's not normal for me. Work, sleep, eat. We got those. Uh, health, praying. Anybody else? Normal day for you. Normal day for you. Kick the cat. It's a normal day. <laughs> Feed the animals. What's a normal day? Driving. How many drive every day? Man, what will we do without vehicles, huh? Uh, Brother Bill told me a statistic here uh, Wednesday night. He said, Brother Gene, he works at Continental Tire. He said, do you know by the year of 2030, he said it was going to be in 10 years, there will be more uh, used tires stored in the world than there are trees in the entire world. More... Uh, disposed of tires rubber you know used tires that are no longer on vehicles stored man let's find something to do with those if we get one guy here that figures out something to do with those we'll be a billionaire jesse get on that (laughs) he's on the cleanup crew right (laughs) he could empty all them warehouses (laughs) amen life is normal Luke 17 tells us as it was in the days of Noah. I wonder what a normal day was like in Noah's day. Luke 17 says they they did eat. We we did we say that. We said work, sleep and eat. Okay. Eat. They drank, they married, they gave in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. We've we've talked about this a number of times. Uh, that list is that list is incriminating because all of us are doing that. We, we're eating, we're drinking, we're getting married, and we're giving our children in marriage, right? It's like life was normal. It's like on the surface, life was continuing on. They were waking up, they were eating breakfast, they were driving to work, they were coming home, they were eating, they were going to bed and going to sleep. Tomorrow, they did it again, and all the... Uh, scattering of things that we heard recreation prayer uh, and the things that maybe make your life normal they were scattered in there not much has changed has it we're still just going on there's pretty much normal days everybody goes to work everybody comes home everybody eats everybody goes to sleep and tomorrow we get back up heard somebody say i'm living the rat race and the rats are winning but there's another side to life as normal that we find in Genesis 6. While on the surface, Luke says, as it was in the days of Noah, they were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying and giving in marriage until the day came, the Lord. In Genesis 6, God saw something that wasn't on the surface. On the surface, life was normal. Everybody was get up, eat, go to work, come home, raise their kids, get married, have their kids get married, and the generations continue on. But in Genesis 6, God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every imagination of, his th- of the thoughts of his heart was on evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth." How amazing is that in the Gospel of Luke we find where Luke says they were eating drinking marrying and giving in marriage but under the surface something was going on that grieved God so when I say in this class what's life that normal life a normal day well it's eating sleeping and work well, you know what? Those are not the things that uh, are. That's not why the Lord's coming back. The, the life today is just like it was in the days of Noah if we only look on the surface. Right? Eating, drinking, marrying, living life. But under the surface, something was going on. And God said, The wickedness, the end of all flesh has come before me because. Man's heart and his imagination, the thoughts of his heart is on evil continually. Wow. Wow. Evil continually. We live in a dark world. Somebody say amen. And as sinful as normal life was in Noah's day, there was still somebody who could hear the voice of God. I'm thankful for that. That gives us hope. That as sinful as normal life was in the days of Noah, there was somebody that could hear the voice of God. Thank God for people who, no matter how dark it gets, they can still hear the voice of God. Not only can they hear it, they're hungry to hear it. They're ready to hear it. They're open to hear it. They're saying like Isaiah, here, I, here am I, Lord. Uh, uh, send me. Somebody say amen. It's, it's more than just coming to church and going to work and eating and, and uh, being on the cleanup crew. We need people that can hear the voice of God. Genesis 6 and 8 says this, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah... Walked with God, and somebody say Amen. Noah found grace. We're going to talk about Noah for a moment. Noah finding grace. Hebrews eleven seven. I read it just a moment ago. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark for the, of the to the saving of his house. By the which he condemned the world and became an heir of, of the righteousness which is by faith. Now. They'll leave that up there for a moment. I want to read it in the New Living Translation. Listen to this. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. Somebody say amen. How many believe we are saved by grace through faith? And the Bible says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, What do you think it means, that statement? Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, in light of what I've just read. Noah walked with God, Noah was perfect in his generations, Noah found grace. In the eyes of the Lord, what do you think that means favor somebody say favor Anybody else wave at me. It's okay, Sister Betsy. What he did was pleasing to God very good see there there is this uh flavoring in Christianity today that says. Uh, Grace means you don't do anything. You're saved by grace, and that means you do nothing. Everybody okay? How many believe God's grace is amazing? How many believe you're saved by grace through faith? There's a lot of people that quote that, I'm saved by grace, but they don't quote the rest of that part. Through faith. Through faith. You see? God and man have to partner together. And when you read the account of Noah, God didn't come down and find somebody who was just going through their normal day and full of wickedness and doing their own thing, and God say, oh, well, I guess i got to put my grace on somebody. Might as well put it on him. No, Noah was a perfect man. He walked with God, and God put his grace on him. To such a degree... I asked you earlier, what is it that saved Noah? Well, Hebrews said what saved his house was that he built a big boat. Was he saved by grace? Absolutely. Was he saved by faith? Absolutely. Was he saved by a big boat? (laughs) Absolutely. All of it. God telling Noah things that had never happened before. I read it in the NLT. God gave Noah a a description of what was about to happen. And Noah was privy to information other people didn't know. And if Noah would have said, man, I'm special. God's told me things that he didn't tell anybody else. And he sat in his lazy boy eating potato chips and and, uh, drinking Pepsi. And sat there telling every, you know, how many ever hundred years and telling his family, man, God's talked to my heart. I know what he's about to do. But he never got out of the chair. Is God's grace on him? Well, absolutely. God's told him things he hasn't told anybody else, God showed him things he hasn't showed anybody else. God's been good to Noah. But Noah's got to do something with that grace. Noah's got to get out of the chair, put the chips in the pantry, say, come on, boys, we got to go cut some trees down because of what I know is going to happen. See, I am saved by grace. And when I realize how good God's been to me, I want to get out of that chair Uh, Anybody hearing what I'm saying? Yeah, I do need to repent. Yeah, I do need to be baptized. Yeah, I do need to leave here and not cuss like a sailor (laughs) because God's been good to me. Well, you're just trying to be saved by works. Well, I'm going to tell you something. Try that on Noah. Go go up to Noah while he's building an ark and say, you're just trying to be saved by works. And he just said, "Uh, yep, we'll see. (laughs) Yeah. I bet when the rain started falling, Brother Bryce, they weren't banging on the door saying, you know, I I don't believe that message of saved by works. I bet they were trying to get into Noah's works. They were trying to get into the thing Noah built by his work. So this, this flavor that, well, we just sit at home, eat chips, and, and don't do any, we don't have to pray, we don't have to repent, we don't have to be baptized, we don't have to do anything, we're saved by grace, and that's it. No, we're saved by grace through my faith. <laughs> and faith gets me out of bed and says, I'm going to church today because God's got something to show me, God's got something to tell me. <laughs> Clap your hands unto the Lord. Amen. So when we talk about God giving Noah grace, thank God Noah knew what to do with grace. (laughs) Amen. Because faith without works is dead. Amen. Amen. I wonder if Noah would have still been found in grace if at any point in the 120-year building project. Think about that now. I wonder if Noah would have still had God's grace if he would have stopped at any point in building the ark. Let's, let's talk about this. What did it mean for Noah found grace? What did God do to, for Noah? Or uh, is, is there a better way to put this? Uh, Noah found grace. That grace was only information, wasn't it? Wasn't it just God saying, Okay, I'm full of it. I'm tired of it. I'm fixing to destroy the earth and a flood's coming. You better build an ark. That's all it was. God did nothing else. That was God's grace in Noah's life that he said, I'm going to tell him something I haven't told anybody else. What you do with it is your business. Noah would have still been in the grace of God if 60 years down the road, he gets the boat half-built, Brother Corey, and he stops and he says, I don't believe it anymore. He still received God's grace. Now, he wouldn't be saved, would he? Anybody hear me? Is a half a boat going to save you? (laughs) No. Sometimes a whole boat won't save you. You don't put the plug in. (laughs) Oh, well, anyway. Somebody say amen. God's grace. I'm thankful for His grace. But I must respond to it. I must do something with it. I must obey it. <laughs> because I'm saved by grace through faith. Somebody say amen. And you know as well as I that if Noah would have ever stopped working, huh? <laughs> Hebrews 11 says, by faith he kept building to save his family. Keep on keeping on, folks. Now, this is very important. It's in your notes. Peter described Noah as a preacher. Everybody say preacher. Preacher of righteousness. Let's look at this, 2 Peter 2 and 5. And if you're following along in your notebook. Uh, in the outline there, 2 Peter 2 and 5, And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness. A preacher was needed at that time in history because the world was ungodly. A preacher was needed in that time in history because the world was ungodly. Thank God for preachers of righteousness. I don't know why God chose it that way. He could have done anything. He could have, uh, the propagation of the gospel could have come in any fashion. But he said, by the foolishness of preaching, the Lord will save those that believe. I thank God for a preacher of righteousness in my day. You ought to thank God for a preacher of righteousness in your day. I need to hear the preaching of the word, I need to hear what the Lord is saying to the church. Josephus, who was a first century uh, historian, Jewish historian, uh, is some of his right. If you've ever read any of the writings of Josephus, he was one a uh, very interesting uh, historian, and uh, he uh, states this about Noah's day." And I quote, "Noah was very uneasy at what they did, and being displeased at their conduct, persuaded them to change their dispositions and their acts." for the better. She's talking about Noah being a preacher. But seeing they did not yield to him, but were slaves to their wicked pleasures, he was afraid they would kill him. Now this is from a first century Jewish historian. Obviously, this is uh history that's been passed on and we're uh, we're reading it thousands of years later. Josephus said Noah was afraid they would kill him together with his wife and children and those they had married, so he departed out of that land. Now God loved this man for his righteousness, yet he not only condemned those other men for their wickedness, but determined to destroy the whole race of mankind and to make another race that that should be pure from wickedness and cutting short their lives and making their years not so many. As they formerly lived, but a hundred and twenty only. Oh, man, that's old. If you get there, he turned the dry land into sea, and thus were all these men destroyed. But Noah alone was saved, for God suggested to him the following contrivance and way of escape. I thought about that. God suggested a way of escape. Isn't that good? I'm fixing to flood the whole earth. And the whole earth's going to be water. Now, I suggest you build an ark. I like that. Because really what the preacher's going to do today, he's going to suggest something for you. He's not going to. Now, you know, in the Gospels we find where they commanded them to be baptized. And God gave, Josephus said, God gave Noah a suggestion. Thank God Noah knew what to do with God's suggestion. He suggested to him the following contrivance and way of escape, that he should make an ark of four stories high, 300 cubits long, 50 cubits broad, and 30 cubits high. Accordingly, he entered into that ark and his wife and his sons and their wives and put into it not only other provisions to support their wants there, but also sent in with the rest all sorts of living creatures the male and his female for the preservation of their kinds, and others of them by sevens. Now this ark had firm walls and a roof, and was braced with cross beams, so that it could not be any way drowned or overborne by the violence of the water, and thus was Noah with his family saved. Huh. We need preachers of righteousness in this day to suggest there is a way of escape. (laughs) It's time to get on the ark. I say it's time to be saved. Somebody say amen. Now this is very important. It's in your notes. We should not think of Noah's preaching as equivalent to modern preaching. (laughs) Amen. Noah didn't get up in front of a pulpit and take a text and talk for 30 to 45 minutes. The word preacher means Noah was a herald of righteousness. That means he preached something with his life. His life was a brilliant beacon beacon of right living in the midst of spiritual darkness. Now when we say preacher, we think somebody called to a pulpit ministry, but you may not have been called to a pulpit ministry, but you can be a preacher of righteousness every day. (laughs) In fact, you can make some suggestions as well. I suggest you get on that boat. I suggest you quit laughing and get in there. Anybody hear what I'm saying now? Amen. Here's something else. Second Peter's use of Noah as an example demonstrates the certainty of judgment upon false teachers of the first century, just as the destruction Of the ungodly in the flood of Noah's day I believe it's very important that we realize just as the Lord destroyed that world he says as it was in the days of Noah so shall it be in the day of the Son of Man he's coming back he's going to judge the wickedness of this world the first flood was by water the second is by fire thank God that's a spiritual analogy that's why you need to get baptized in Jesus name (laughs) And John said, that one that's coming after me shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. <laughs> what he's going to do in this earth, he's already done in us. He's flooded our sins and washed them away. <laughs> oh, praise God. Somebody say amen. Now, the book of First Peter mentions this event as well in First Peter 3, uh, verse 19. By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Now, this is very, very important. Remember... Uh, Hebrews 11 says he built an ark for the saving of his family. And First Peter 3 talking about Jesus says by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedience when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. Wow. Now that's okay. We don't have time. We don't. We don't have a semester today. <laughs> we don't have time for the whole class. But the Bible tells us in First Peter that somebody went and preached to spirits in prison, when the long suffering to those who were sometime disobedient, when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. Wow, saved by water. See, I thought it was the ark. I thought it was uh, all that labor he did. And Hebrews 11 tells us Noah's faith was demonstrated by building an ark that saved him. But in God's eyes, Noah was saved by water. Think about that. When we think about Noah's salvation, we think what got him out of the trouble. It was the ark. Everybody hearing what I'm saying? But here in, in 1 Peter 3, it tells us that Noah, yes, he prepared an ark to save his, the eight souls. And those eight, eight souls were saved by water. Now, in Noah's eyes, he's being saved by, from the flood. Right? My family's alive because of this boat. But in God's eyes, he was saved from something much bigger than the water. <laughs> Uh, no (laughs) see this yeah the ark will save you from the flood but in first Peter 3 it says it was the water that saved Noah well what did the water do tell me what the water did the water destroyed influence the water destroyed wickedness the water silenced the voices of doubt (laughs) that's right the water put a line between the righteous and the unrighteous and God says, Noah, you know, he's in that boat thinking, thank God for this boat. But in God's eyes, God's saying, thank God for that water. No, you're not hearing me today. I got to state, I got to be the professor today i got to be the professor. I can't get too excited. You know, I'm thankful for what the church does for you and I in this wicked world. There's a lot of times I think, thank God I'm on this boat. Thank God I'm in the church. Thank God my kids... Uh, I, I was riding in the truck last night with Chelsea. She said, Dad, I want to ride with you. So we're riding back from O'Fallon, and she starts talking about, you know, she's she's working in the field of psychology, and she's talking about the family she's ministering to and the things that people go through and the kids. Uh, you would not, you would, it would, well, you probably know. <laughs> you just read the newspaper, listen to the news, the, the things that children and young people and, and folks go through in this world in which we live. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm so appreciative of the ark of safety. I'm so thankful for the church of the living God. I'm so thankful for what the Lord has built for his people. I'm glad we're all in here together. It's bad outside. Thank God my kids don't have to be subjected to the things of this world. And I thank God for that. But I want to tell you what, it's the water that saved Noah. Saved by water. In God's eyes, he's saved by water. The water was the thing that separated him from all those that were wicked. Somebody say amen. Now look at verse 21. The like figure whereunto even baptism also now saves us. If Noah was saved, not by an ark. You're not going to be saved just because you come to the right church or sit in the right room. No, it's the water that saves you. Just like Noah, you know, everybody think. Well, it was no, it was the water that saved him. That's what killed unrighteousness. That's what put a barrier between Noah and the wickedness of his world. Listen, when you get baptized, you don't just get wet. There is something is dying in you. Something ought to die in you. Baptism is a line between what's living and what's dead. I'm putting all that aside. Something's going to drown in my life when I get baptized. Come on, clap your hands under the Lord today. Water saves you. I said water saves you. Yeah, I, th- yeah. Uh, I believe it's important to repent. And there's people, you know, this, this grace alone has gotten to a point where people don't even believe you have to be baptized anymore. I want to tell you what, the Bible says in 1 Peter that the figure of of baptism is exactly the figure of what was going on in Noah's day. (laughs) That something's being buried in that water. Now look at what it says, even baptism doth now save us. Listen, try that on for, well it doesn't matter if you're baptized or not. It says right here in the Bible, baptism saves you. Well, I read in this book. Well, I don't care. I read in this book. I got a book for you to read. It's this one. And 1 Peter 3 says baptism saves you. Do you mean baptism saves you? Yes. Well, what's the Greek mean? The Greek means baptism saves you. Uh, everybody okay? And then it tells you what baptism doesn't do. Look at it. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience. Now keep that on your mind for a moment. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. You know what? I've run into people that have made some mistakes in their life, and, and we don't practice this there are times where people that where they got baptized when they were very young and we know it's an act of faith and they feel like they ought to reinstitute that but listen i want to tell you when you go out and do all this crazy stuff you want to do and you come back and you say well i need to be rebaptized." no baptism does not clean your flesh (laughs) anybody hearing what i'm saying this is why you better think long and hard before you get baptized because you're, you're saying by that act something is dying here. Pharaoh and his army's not going to come up from this one. I'm going through the river. My old life's not coming out of this. I'm burying the old man, and the writer says, The like figure whereunto baptism does now save us, not the washing of the filth of the flesh. Baptism doesn't change the flesh. Anybody know a week after you got baptized, you still got mad at your kids? Yeah, see, baptism didn't change your flesh, did it? No, not, not, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. Now, we're going to come back to that in just a minute. There's a, cons- cons- a corresponding relationship between the salvation of Noah's family by water and and the significance of water baptism in the church. In 1 Peter 3, we find the connection. If Noah was saved and his entire family by water, 1 Peter 3 connects that to baptism. Baptism is a fulfillment of what was typified by the role of water in Noah's day. (laughs) Wait a minute. I thought they were saved by the ark, but this verse says they were saved by the water. What did the water save them from? The water saved them from that wickedness. The water put to death all of that in their life, that influence, that darkness of that day. It is the New Testament believers' faith that prompts obedience to the command of Jesus Christ to be baptized. If you're here today, you need, and you have not been baptized, you need to be baptized in Jesus' name. You need to put that old sinful life under the waters of death, <laughs> You don't, you're not baptized to join a church. You're not baptized to go on a membership role. You're baptized so that you can be saved. You're going to put to death that old man. Anybody hearing what I'm saying? So, some say baptism is only a public testimony. They'll say this. You'll hear it. So, so perk up when you hear it. When you're sitting at tables with people talking about Bible stuff, they'll say, well, baptism is only an outward sign of an inward work. You probably heard that. Baptism is only an outward sign of an inward work. In other words, there's no saving effect of it. It's just a sign. It's just a sign. Huh. Any attempt to make baptism an option ignores that the water of Noah's flood was not an option. (laughs) The water was not an option in the saving of his family. Baptism is not an option either. If it was the water that saved Noah from a wicked world, Peter says it's the water of baptism that saves you. This is why they commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. (laughs) Because if the water saved Noah, the water can save you. So when I get in that baptistry tank, I'm more than just following a sign. I'm more than just making a statement about what church I want to belong to. No, that water saves me. I've been buried with Christ. I've risen to walk in newness of life. Come on, clap your hands unto the Lord today. You know, if somebody asked you whether baptism was necessary, Well, I don't know if baptism's necessary. You know, I I want you to think about this. What would you say if somebody said baptism's not necessary anymore? Baptism's not necessary anymore. Well, I might might immediately uh, start quoting this one. I don't even need my Bible with me. (laughs) Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Oh, wait, that's not a popular verse, but hey, rest assured, it's still in the Bible. People may not like it. They may say, well, I wish it wasn't there, but the fact is it's there. And Peter said to a world that says we've crucified the Messiah, what should we do? He said, repent and be baptized in the name for the remission of sins. Anybody know what the word remission means? Anybody ever had cancer in here? Anybody ever had cancer? Raise your hand. Did the doctor use the term, your cancer is in remission? <laughs> what does that mean? Your cancer's in remission. Oh, we got nurses and practicing nurses. And what does it mean? Huh? It's shrinking? What? It's not there. The power's gone. It's, it's in remission. Can there still be uh, signs of it there, but it's not growing if it's in remission? No, remission means it's gone. Your cancer's in remission. I like all these terms. <laughs> it's gone. It's lost its power. <laughs> I need to be baptized so sin loses its power. Well, Brother Gene, I just can't handle it anymore. You know, temptation's too much. Listen, if you hadn't been baptized, you need to be baptized for the remission of sins. Well, Acts chapter 10 is another one. Acts 10, 48. I mentioned it earlier. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. This was a command in the apostolic church in the book of Acts chapter 2 and verse 10. He commanded them or Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 10, commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Now look, in Acts chapter 10, verse 48, that verse, it may still be up there in the earliest Greek manuscripts. Uh, Those early Greek manuscripts have, in this translation, in the name of Jesus Christ, a reading following followed in the many recent English translations. In fact, if you look in the NLT, the New Living Translation, people say, well, I'm only going to read the King James. Well, in this instance, Acts 10:48 leaves something out that's in the original. In the New Living Translation, it's added back. It's in a recent English translation. They read the Greek manuscripts, and they add what has been left out in the King James. The King James doesn't have this, but in Acts 10:48 in the New Living Translation, it says, so he gave orders... For them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Listen, I, I'm, I'm not now. I'm now not suggesting. I'm rising as a preacher like Noah to not just suggest you get saved. I'm commanding you to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Or Brother Gene, you don't need to say that. Oh, yes, I do need to say that because the saving power is not in the water. It's in the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, clap your hands unto the Lord. I need to say that. I give you orders to be baptized in the name of Jesus. First Peter 3.21, baptism is not the putting away of the flesh. Wow. The purpose of baptism is not to cleanse a person physically. (laughs) Everybody good? Some suppose this means baptism does not rid a person of sin. This would imply that there is no connection between the water of Noah's flood and the salvation of his family. Listen, the water of baptism is not to cleanse you physically. It's to cleanse you spiritually. You're going to come out of the water just as fleshly as you went in there. But sin has lost its power now. Hey, how many know Noah was saved by water? Yeah. How many also know that once the water went down and Noah got off the ark, you do know Noah wasn't perfect after that salvation, don't you? <laughs> oh, yeah. it's not. <laughs> he planted some stuff that got him in trouble. That's right, he did. And I want to tell you, a preacher that preaches 120 years and only has eight converts, <laughs> a preacher that preaches 120 years and has seven converts and then gets stuck for a year and 13 days in a in a boat with all those converts, <laughs> yeah, that'll drive a man to drinking right there. You wonder why Noah planted a vineyard and got drunk? <laughs> Some of you's liking that more than others. <laughs> yeah, Noah was saved by water, but you know what? Noah was still Noah when he come off the ark. I'm thankful for baptism. Amen. I know that baptism doesn't make me physically clean, but it makes me spiritually clean. Amen. Sin is not a matter of the flesh only. The Bible says sin is a matter of the flesh and the spirit. Now, I'm still a carnal man, but I can be cleansed in my spirit. It may be that Peter's declaration that the purpose of baptism was not to deal with the filth of the flesh, was to respond to the idea that baptism is merely a ritual. Peter may, in 1 Peter 3, he made maybe 2,000 years ago, there was this idea that baptism is just a ritual. And Peter is saying, No, baptism does something for you spiritually. <laughs> baptism is not just to cleanse the filth of your flesh, baptism is doing something spiritually. Somebody say, Amen. Think about who Peter might have been talking to the, Jude, the custom of. Uh, the, the Judaism, we find that there was all kind of washings, ritual washings, ceremonial washings, and, and they would wash their hands. The priests would wash their hands and the back of their neck. And they, before they went into the, the temple, there was all these ceremonial washings. And people thought, well, washing's just a ceremony. And Peter says, oh, no, no. Washing's doing more than a ceremony. Baptism is more than a ceremony. Somebody say, Amen. Here's something else. Baptism is not merely an external ritual, but it is the answer. We read it in that verse. It's not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but it is the answer of a good conscience toward God. Praise the Lord. I can come out of that water, and I know I'm clean in the eyes of God. When Noah entered the ark, it was evidence that his conscience was clear with God. He had done everything he could do. He had held nothing back. He got in the ark in faith. And when, he come, when we come to God in faith, turning away from sin, baptism testifies to the fact that we are holding nothing back. This is why we talk to people. We, we uh, question people. We have a conversation with people who say, I want to get baptized. Well, this is more than just uh, a ceremony where you bring your family and you celebrate and you go have cake afterwards. Baptism is a serious uh, act of faith. <laughs> it, it, it'd be against the law for you all to grab me up, run me out to the cemetery and dig a hole and throw me in it while I'm kicking and screaming. In fact, with all the strength left in me, I'm going to try to come out of the hole you put me in. (laughs) Baptism is for dead folks. Is anybody hearing me today? You don't bury live folks. You bury dead people. (laughs) And dead people's not trying to, uh, live people's not trying to come up out of that hole. (laughs) Somebody say amen? Amen. They're glad. I believe it's very important that we make a clean break from the past. That when we're baptized, we say, you know what? That's my old life. I went to Bible school with a guy and every he was the dorm, uh, you know, he's kind of security over the dorm and he'd make his rounds and he'd be in the middle of the night and we'd still be up talking and he'd slip in the room, we'd start talking, he'd sit on the bed and every, just about, the one thing I remember about him is he always talked about the the motorcycle gang he came out of and he'd show us his scars where he got knife fights and every night he's talking about the motorcycle gang and he never could quit talking about the motorcycle gang and it was just, I want to tell you, bad Baptism puts a line between you and your old life. Anybody hear what I'm saying today? If you want your old life to be over, the Bible tells us we can arise in baptism and that old man is put to death. Well, somebody clap your hands under the Lord right now. I praise you, Jesus. Help me, Lord. I close. First Peter 1.22, seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Peter connects the purification of the soul with obedience to the truth. Seeing you have purified your souls by obeying the truth. Is everybody okay? You purify your soul by obeying the truth. To discover the basis on which baptism saves us, we must read directly from the first phrase to the last phrase. There's a parenthetical phrase in one of these verses where there's a parenthesis. We read it earlier, and here it is without the parenthesis. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. The like figure whereunto baptism does now save us by the resurrection of Jesus. Take out the parentheses and it tells you the truth. Baptism saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This connects the significance of baptism with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How many believe the resurrection of Jesus Christ is very important? In, in Peter's epistle, he says baptism is as significant as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. By baptism, I'm united with Jesus Christ in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Baptism, in Colossians 2 says, is the new covenant, the counterpart of the old covenant, which was circumcision. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 16, Acts chapter 18, Acts chapter 19, Acts chapter 22. If you hadn't figured it out, there's not many more chapters than that. Basically, the whole book of Acts says this that baptism is. Is a primary response to first-century people who gave their life to Jesus. The entire book of Acts is a it, baptism was a response to everybody who believed. From everybody who believed, they all were baptized. Do you think it's important two thousand years later if we believe that we be baptized? Absolutely. The book of Acts is full of them. Somebody say Amen. Hebrews 6 says the doctrine of baptism is one of the principles of the doctrine of Christ. I think baptism's important. In fact, as the world gets more wicked and more wicked, I think it's imperative that we examine our hearts and make sure we've been baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of our sins. If that water saved Noah, (laughs) I believe baptism can save me. Everybody okay? Turn your neighbor and tell them I'm okay. In 2 Peter 2 and 5, the world, which is cosmos in the Greek, refers to the people who perished with the flood. The people who perished with the flood. The Bible describes them as ungodly, which means they had not time whatever for God. They were ungodly. Genesis describes them as violent. They were characterized by great wickedness, obsessed with evil. God did not overlook the other seven people, even though they were a minority. God saw the wickedness of the world, but he didn't overlook those who were trying to do what was right. I'm going to say that again. (laughs) God did see the wickedness of the entire world, but he did not overlook those who were trying to do what was right. Noah's example and even Lot's example provides hope for the church that we may not be the majority, but we're trying to do what's right. God doesn't overlook, numbers don't matter to God. God will not confuse the faithful with the faithless. He knows where his children are, and he knows who his children are. Come on, clap your hands under the Lord today. I'm closing. Even even when they were living on the very brink of disaster, most people were oblivious to their impending judgment. Somebody say amen. I can't tell you how many times this nation's been on what we thought was the brink of disaster. I've never seen so many God-conscious people in my life than after 9-11 happened in this nation. There was posters about God. There was newscasters talking about God. There was prayer in God with a byword of the day. They just used them in every sentence. But guess what? Those days have come and gone. We've been on the brink of disaster. How many, how many times this past week have we heard World War III? We just run right up to the brink of it. Everybody gets kind of shook up a little bit, and then we calm back down. But I want to tell you, judgment is coming. I said, judgment is coming on this world, and I want to be found faithful. Somebody say amen. The following is an excerpt from an article written by Robert D. McFadden that appeared in the New York Times on December 17, 2013. And I quote, Harold Camping, a Christian radio entrepreneur and biblical soothsayer who stirred consternation, ecstasy, Complaints to the Federal Communications Commission and widespread ridicule by repeatedly prophesying the end of the world twice in 2011. Died on Sunday at his home in Alameda, California. He was 92. To a global following probably in the millions, Mr. Camping was the personification of the family radio network. He was also a lifelong student of the Bible whose books rely On a vast assemblage of numbers and with his affinity to numerology, he became preoccupied with what he regarded as the greatest calculation of them all, the mystery of what the scriptures might reveal as the date of the apocalypse. The end, he said, would come on May the 21st, 2011. The date was based on a complex formula involving the biblical flood survived by Noah in which Mr. Camping said was 4,990 years B.C., a 7,000-year clock that began ticking from that moment and the subtraction of one year because of the difference between the Old Testament and New Testament calendars. Mr. Camping, a thin man with a craggy face and a resonant baritone radio voice, relentlessly promoted the date and its fateful consequences for more than two years on his listener-supported network, on 5,000 billboards, and in countless books and pamphlets translated into 75 languages. To pay for it all, he raised tens of millions of dollars from listeners. As the day closed in, there was an avalanche of publicity. Mr. Camping estimated that seven billion would die And followers spoke of settling their affairs and spending their final days with loved ones. When nothing much happened on May the 21st, legions of crestfallen believers professed astonishment and disappointment. Mr. Camping said he was flabbergasted that his predictions had not materialized. After a few days in seclusion to figure out what had gone wrong, he announced new conclusions. Basically, that God had quietly completed Judgment Day on May 21st and closed the books on heaven and said he had recalibrated the end of time's date for five months later, October 21st. And nothing momentous happened on October 21st. Five months later, in a letter to, to, millions, to, or to followers of his ministry's website on March, in March of 2012, Mr. Camping not only apologized for getting it wrong, but acknowledged that he had no new evidence pointing to another date for the end of the world and no interest in even considering another date. But he found a silver lining in the confusion, noting that his incorrect and sinful statement allowed God to get the attention of a great many people who otherwise would have not paid much attention. Wow. Harold Camping was one of many over the past 2,000 years to set a date for the second coming of Jesus Christ. (laughs) Hey, those people come and go, but to the faithful, the biblical message of Jesus' return is very important. He is coming back, and he's coming back in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. I need to abandon every effort to try to figure out when he's coming because that only gets me stirred up for a moment. But if I live every moment like he's coming in the next five minutes, <laughs> I want to live every moment like he's coming in the next five minutes. Oh, somebody stand together right now. Let's, let's give the Lord a good hand clap because we know he's about to return. He's about to come back for his people. Come on, I said he's about to come back for his people. I'm going to watch. I'm going to pray. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to keep on working. Amen. And I think it's important that we watch. We heard that last week. It's important that we watch and pray. Somebody say amen. I want to be ready when he comes back. Somebody say amen. If you hadn't been baptized, today's a good day for you to put all that behind you. Buried in the water. Amen. God bless you. We're dismissed from our class. Greet one another, our guests. Some are arriving now. Be sure and greet them, and let's have a great time in worship in just a few moments. God bless you.